Okay, so 2 Corinthians is where we left off last week in chapter 8. I'm going to read again a little bit of chapter 8, and then we're going to go into chapter 9, uh, some various pieces of Paul's writing here. And we're going to close out our study of the joy of giving by looking at the, the source of it all, the source of the joy of giving. So um, let's read back to 2 Corinthians. Let's start with chapter 8. Read a couple of verses there, and then we'll go to chapter 9. So Paul, of course, as I told you before, uh, writing to the church in Corinth, which is a city in uh, modern-day Greece. And he says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonia was also in modern-day Greece, just north, a couple hundred, about 100 miles or so. Out of uh, the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, strange, welled up in rich generosity. For we testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Wow, these people were <laughs> really giving people, weren't they? And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves, and here's a biblical principle again, first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a key verse here, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Beautiful verse. Underline that. If it's your Bible, you might want to. Here's my advice about what's best in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has done, not according to what one does not have. Or what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. That was the text that we concentrated on last Sunday. And now we're going to jump to chapter 9. And verse 6, and read a little bit from there. Remember this, Paul continues, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you uh, to give something a little bit later, um, and, and I'll just say right now, no compulsion. It's, it's if you want to, if you want to do it, um, but that's the only, only way we're going to do that. But uh, we'll come to that later. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
As it is written, he scattered his, abroad his gifts to the poor. The righteousness, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies, and I want you to note this word supply, okay? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. All right, that's where I'll step. You might want to keep those verses open. We're going to look at this a little bit further. I told you earlier that this is January uh, 5th. I think January 6th is, is tip, uh, technically Epiphany. Um, this is Epiphany Sunday, uh, 12 days after Christmas. And so we're in January, but we're still in Christmas, okay? We're still in Christmas. It's very fitting. Um, one last thought on this season of giving as we look at the ponder the wise men who came to Christ. Most of you are familiar with uh, Charles Dickens' story, The Christmas Carol, right? It's not a song. It's a, it's a story, right? And uh, in it, there's a crabby old man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. And when I was a kid, there was a cartoon where there was a duck named Scrooge. Anyone, anyone remember that? Yeah. I don't know if they still had that or not. Maybe on Disney Plus. Who knows? Scrooge was a crabby old man, miserly old man, rich old man, who gets visited by three ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And it so terrifies him that he becomes a happy, generous man. Isn't that nice? Now, the story is not in the Bible, uh, in case you're wondering. But there are biblical principles in the story. Uh, among them, um, it is more blessed to give than receive. That's Acts 20, verse 35. All right? There's more happiness in giving than in receiving. Kind of our, our whole series through December is basically based on that principle. All right? Secondly, uh, in that story, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that in uh, Matthew 19, 23. That's in the story. Um, God has special attention for the poor. I was reading this in, in the Bible this morning. Uh, man, I was reading in Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72 and Matthew 2. One of those, I think it's Psalm 72, talks about how God cares about the poor. All right? That's also in the Gospels, Luke 6. God has special attention for those who are poor. So in this last part of this study, I hope to demonstrate... Basically this, that the closer that we walk with God, the more attention that we pay to God, the, the more fun it is to be giving. The more fun it is to be generous. Okay? If you want to have fun in being generous, pay attention to God. That's really my first point. Also, to really find the joy in giving, you really need to find joy in God. Okay? We need to find joy in God. And did you know you can find joy in God? Yes, you can. Now, people all over the world just experienced a uh, Christmas tradition of sitting by a Christmas tree, as Sarah talked this earlier, and ripping open colorful gifts and opening packages uh, decorated beautifully and, and receiving, you know, toys and gadgets and jewelry and underwear. And it's great fun, of course. It's great fun, the whole deal. But um, fun isn't the same thing as joy. Have you ever noticed that? 
You can have fun, but fun can disappear like that. But joy is a lasting thing. What's the difference? It's, you should ask that. Fun and joy are, are different. We're talking about joy, not fun. Giving comes, joy comes in giving, and giving is a wonderful thing to do. I mean, it's one of the reasons God made us is to do good, to give, right? I mean, uh, put, put that Ephesians 2 up. Um, for we are God's workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Read it with me. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So long before we existed, I mean, if you read Ephesians uh, 1, it talks about before the creation of the world, God was thinking about us and planning for us and, uh, and in advance preparing for us to do good things, to fill the world with goodness. That's one of our purposes. However, it's possible to do good things and, and not feel any joy whatsoever because we do them uh, for all the wrong reasons. And then, and then it's actually not even good because we did the good thing for a bad reason. It's no longer, it's no longer really good. What are some of the, uh, the bad reasons, the wrong reasons why we might do something good? I mean, throw one out. Why might you do something good that is not a really a good reason? To feel better. Okay, to uh, make myself feel like I'm significant, you know. Why else might we do something good uh, that's not really a, a genuinely good reason? To what? I'm just doing it out of duty. My mother made me, you know. My grandfather said I should. The teacher expects it, but I don't really want to. You know, there's all kinds of of bad reasons for doing good things. It, it'll make me look better than so-and-so if I, if I do something good. Um, all, kinds of, all kinds of reasons. Sometimes when we, when we do good, we do it, but we're actually agitated by it. Like, oh, here comes that offering plate again. The church expects me to give. You know? Which, it's, it's all confused. It's not really, we're not seeing it straight. But, um... Or let's say your spouse says, we should really help so-and-so. Um, let's give them a gift of X. And, and you think to yourself, I don't like them that much. You know? So now, you're, now you're, you're kind of on the spot. The cashier, how about this? When you're, you're paying your bill and they go, do you want to um, give a donation to Jude? You know? And you think to yourself, hmm, do I want to give a donation to Jude, St. Jude? You know, it's a good thing, but you doggone it. I mean, I, I give my church a hundred bucks a week, you know, I, I tithe and now I feel guilty that I'm not giving to St. Jude and, uh, I should probably give to St. Jude. I'll give him a buck because otherwise I'll look bad, right? I don't really want to give to St. Jude. I've already given the money I want to give away. Did that ever go through your head? No, of course not. I don't want to see, seem uncaring, so you know what I say? Um, I, I say, you know what? I give through my church, and I prefer to do it that way. You know, then I feel like I don't look like a sleazeball. And <laughs> pressure, right? I'm going to give you some pressure in a little in a little bit. You're going to think I'm the sleazeball. Okay. <clears throat> Whenever we give to, but here the good way, the good way of giving. Whenever we give to God because we are excited to be like Jesus, that's really good. Whenever we get to God, because, you know what, man, I want to help. I, I, I want God, God's love to be shown to somebody. Then that's where the joy starts. It stands to reason, right? Because it's the way God is. 
If you have your Bible open, go back to the very first verse of chapter 8. I want you to notice an important little phrase. The grace that God has given. You see that phrase? We want you to know about the grace that God has given. He gave the Macedonians grace. This grace to be a generous person. That's how God describes uh, their giving. It started with God's grace. You know what? If you're not if you're not happy in helping someone or giving to someone your time, your talents, your treasure, whatever, ask God for the grace of giving. Ask Him to give you the joy, because it all starts with Him. So, um, Mike Ayer writes this: My wife and I refinanced our house and cashed out what was for us a large sum of money. And I spent several weeks dreaming of ways to spend it. It was near Christmas and I'd been studying the birth of Jesus and what would it have meant to those who first heard about it. And I was praying and prepping for messages, so obviously he's a a pastor already, that I would teach in the week of uh, December. And God brought into my mind that to take this whole love thy neighbor thing seriously, my wife and I should give away more money than we spent on ourselves this Christmas. Ooh. I like that one. We should give away more than we spend on ourselves. Although I didn't realize at the time, he says, God had placed the same message in my wife's heart. Hmm. So with tears of great joy and freedom, my wife and I agreed and then proceeded to ask the dangerous and wonderful question, okay, Lord, who's going to get all this money? And he says, we had a blast giving it away and living the revolution of Christmas as we celebrated the giving of God's Son, what Paul called the gift too wonderful for words. The gift too wonderful for words. You know, sometime in the, in the course of the day, maybe 10 or 12 times in the course of the day, why don't you just thank God, God, I just thank you for the gift too wonderful for words. You know what that is, of course, right? Joy in giving comes from having joy in God. So the challenge to be a generous person is really a challenge to know Jesus, to know God. Okay, second thing I want to say this morning is that the joy of giving comes in giving up the fear of needing Okay, does anybody have the fear of needing? I'm sure we all do it sometime. Now, many folks think that it would be easier to give if we just had more, right? Because if we had more, it wouldn't be hard to give, right? This is just a confused, this is just a confused way of looking at the, the truth that is what I really want is to not fear that I need, okay? It's uh, untrue and statistically proven so that the more you have, you do not give more. In fact, poorer citizens tend to give greater percentages of, of their wealth to charity than wealthier citizens. This is a historic fact down through the ages. Okay? I've I read a bunch of different studies on this. One report I read showed that in America, what we call the poverty level, of course our poverty level is far, uh, in a way, beyond uh, other countries, But what we call poverty level, those who are in that category uh, in our country give, on average, about 5 to 6 percent of their wealth to charity. Well, with each increasing level of wealth, the giving percentage goes down. 
with those who make over $100,000 on average in America, giving barely over 1% uh, to others. This is just the statistics that of our, of our populace. And still we tend to think to ourselves, if we had more, we would give more and happily so. It's just not true. It's just not true. More does not make me generous. No. Security makes me generous. And that's the problem with wealth. Because wealth, we know, is not really secure. We pretend it is. We hope it is. But it isn't. We know that down deep inside. But it's security that makes us generous, not wealth or not more. We falsely think that the more gives us it. If we were secure and and we believed that our needs would always be taken care of, you know, like if I have a dad who's always going to feed me and a dad who's always going to clothe me and a dad who's always going to get me to where I got to go, then I don't have a problem sharing because I don't need to worry about it. If we, if we were secure and we believed that, we would give more joyfully, I think. Or, if we did not care so much about our needs, i.e., don't need so much security, because I don't care about the security so much, basically because I am secure, <laughs> I don't worry about my needs, or, or yeah, if I don't know about, worry about my things and my needs and so forth because I am secure... If I was more open to suffering, you know, accepting suffering or deprivations, because other things were more important to me, this this would be a kind of a fallout of being secure, right? If we were open to accept sufferings and deprivations because other things were more important to us, we could give joyfully. People are more important to me than not suffering. People are more... Loving someone is more important to me than... Having another one of those, it does my priorities. Friendships, meaningful moments, spiritual growing, knowing our life is loved and purposeful. Do any of those things sound like security to you? They do to me. Then we could give more joyfully. So again, the answer to our predicament in giving lies in the character of God. Is God going to take care of us? Is God going to provide for us? Is he really providence? So that blade and leaf and drought and, and uh, flood and good times and bad times all come filtered through the fingers of the Father of Heaven? Is he really? Well, look at back in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, this time verse 8. In 2 Corinthians 9, 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. You know, the catechism puts it like this. Heidelberg Catechism says, God God can do this because um, God, he is able. He's almighty God. And he will do this because he is faithful. Father. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, there's a lot of alls in there, you will abound in all good work every good work as is written he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever that's what God does next verse now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness 
You want to be a more giving person? You aspire to that? Ask God to supply you. Ask God to give you the joy and ask God to give you the supply that you can give away. Just ask him. Supply me, Lord, and, and I'll just do it. Now, here's a really interesting thing, and here's the challenge. I'm, I'm just wondering if anyone uh, might feel the Holy Spirit moving them to take me up on it. Um, once again, you don't have to. No pressure. But John DeVries... Uh, who is the founder of Mission India. And this is, this is where I got the idea. He does it um, constantly. He goes to college campuses and he speaks about Mission for India. And then he challenges the students, you know, to, uh, to support Mission for India. So he, he goes like this. He says, what I want you to do is, um, if you're willing, you know, stand with me right now and we will pray to God for... 20 extra dollars, that God will give you 20 extra dollars this week that you can give to Mission India. He does this on college campuses all over the place. And, and kids take him up on it. And you, you would be amazed at the stories. You'd be amazed at the stories. So just, let's just ask God, God, give me 20 extra bucks this week, not money I already have, just 20 extra dollars from somewhere, whatever, and, um, and I will give it to this mission. Okay, so what do you say? Does anybody want to do that? Anybody want to do that? Okay, so if you want to do that, let's, 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 let's just do it right now. Stand up with me, okay? And, and we're going to pray. We're just going to ask God for 20 bucks. That's what we're going to do. So if you're interested in asking God for 20 bucks, just stand up and we'll ask Him. Now, I don't know what God will do, but I have a fe- Whoa, really? <laughs> I have a feeling that... that um, that God will show his greatness and give us some extra 20 bucks and, and then we'll send it to Mission for India. How about that? Okay? I, like I said, I don't know what's going to... But we're going to ask him. So let's, let's pray. Lord, all of those who are standing right now and, and myself, um, is this putting you on the spot? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess it is. But, but Lord, show your glory. Show your, your, your power. We just pray that you would send us each... $20 out of nowhere, I don't know, extra somehow that we weren't expecting or don't need and uh, in this next week. And if you do, we'll give it to Mission for India, to, to the ministry that John DeVries works for, Lord. Um, if you don't, we won't ha- have it to give to them, but, um, but if you do, we'll give it to them. Show your power, God, and supply us. But we, whether you do or don't, but we really hope you do, We know that you are the supplier of all things, Lord Jesus. So we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's see what happens. Let's see what God will do in the next week. Who knows? But I can tell you, uh, he's going to do something. He's going to do something. So what's beautiful about this that we've just uh, been thinking about is that if we can learn to give up the fear of needing... So as to become generous, uh, and we will believe in God the more, you know, and we will be, his supply will cause us to believe in him more. Does that make sense? Um, Philippians 4 goes like this. I'm amply supply, supplied, Paul writes to the Philippian church, <clears throat> I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, uh, how would you like that for a name? Epaphroditus, the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, read this with me. Ready? And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father 
be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there, there the Bible says it, right? My God will supply your needs. Now I'm, uh, what am I, 58 or whatever, something like that. And, and, and God has supplied my needs. I can tell you this, right? I've, I've known the Lord my whole life and he has always supplied everything I needed and more so. I've never been without what I needed. Anybody else in the room that's a Christian can say that? Would, would say the same thing? You know, God has always supplied everything I need. I've always had it. Sometimes we think we need things when we don't. But God really did supply our needs. We just didn't know what they were. Look at chapter um, 8, verse 3 once more. I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That verse makes a, makes a point, doesn't it? They're given beyond their means. Whereas many of us live beyond our means, they gave beyond their means. That's interesting. Did you know that the average American um, is, in, is in debt? The average American spends more than they earn. It's the common knowledge. The average American does not save money and buys things they can't afford and, and spends more than they earn and are, is in debt. Being in debt is not God's good way for you. You know, let's learn to give beyond our means instead of live beyond our means. That's really the challenge. That's, that's the next thing on the outline. You, let's learn to do that. To, to give beyond our means instead of live beyond our means. If you live beyond your means, you won't have anything to give. And you'll be afraid. Actually, you will have things to give. You could just ask God to supply you so you could give. If you ask God to supply you so that you can help someone else, don't you think he wants to do that? Stephen Post, a professor of bioethics at Case Western University School of Medicine, uh, headed up a comprehensive study on, on altruism, as kindness, altruism, where he evaluated 50 different um, scientific studies of people who regularly volunteered uh, and gave their time. Okay, and one of the studies was from Cornell University, which spent 30 years following 427 ladies who were married and had children. And the researchers found that only 36% of women who regularly volunteered had uh, experienced a major life illness, while 52% of those who never volunteered had a major life illness. Hmm. So you got to kind of wonder. He writes, Surprisingly, they found that numbers of children, education, class, and work status did not affect longevity, life health. Other studies indicated that those who volunteered their time lived longer than those who didn't. So if you want to go to heaven early, don't volunteer. <laughs> oh my goodness. In fact, people who volunteered frequently had a 44% reduction in, in early death when compared to non-volunteers. That's an interesting way of phrasing things. Scientists also identified precise areas in the brain that are highly active during empathetic and compassionate emotions. Commenting on these, Post writes, this is extremely important. This is the care and connection part of the brain. It is a very different part of the brain than uh, is active in romantic love. It's not that. These brain studies show 
this profound state of joy and delight that comes from giving to others. It doesn't come from any dry action where it's out of duty in the narrowest sense, like I write a check for a good cause. Um, it comes from working to cultivate generous, a generous quality. The smile, the tone of voice, the touch on the shoulder. This is altruistic love, he writes. That's interesting, isn't it? That parts of the brain are active when we are acting like God invites us to. So let's remember, let's go back. <clears throat> let's go back to the, um, the Christmas carol story, right? The, the grouchy guy who becomes uh, friendly and happy and generous. Which Scrooge was the happy Scrooge? The one who kept all the money or the one who gave it all away? That's kind of the point of the story, right? It's the one who gave it away. Uh, so just for fun, um, I have a little clip from the movie. Uh, we're going we're gonna to play that right now. I will hold you close in a thankful heart. <laughs> Bob Cratchit. So here you are. Uh, Mr. Scrooge. Uh... You, sir, were not at work this morning as we had discussed. Oh, but, but, Mr. Scrooge, sir, we did discuss it. It's Christmas Day. You gave me the day off. I. I, Ebenezer Scrooge, would I do a thing like that? No, uh, I mean, yes, but but you did. Bob Cratchit, I've had my fill of this. And I have had my fill of you, Emily, Mr. Scrooge. Emily, Mr. And Sc therefore, Bob Cratchit. And therefore, you can leave this house at once. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Oh, and I am about to raise you right off the pavement or onto the... Yes, Bob. Raise your salary and pay your mortgage on this house. Please, sir, come inside. Yes, yes. Bob Cratchit, would you and your family care to join us for a little turkey dinner on this fine Christmas day? Merry Christmas. Tiny Tim, who did not die. Oh, isn't that swell? To Tiny Tim, Scrooge became a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city ever had. <laughs> and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed... God bless us. God bless us, everyone. The love we found, the love we found, we carry with us, so we're never quite alone.
My favorite part is where she goes, I'm going to raise you right up the... <laughs> yeah, that's fun, isn't it? So the biblical principle of giving, bringing joy, it even works for people who don't believe in Jesus. It's a biblical principle. It works anyway. Being a giver will make you joyful. But there's something else that's more important even than that, than learning to be um, a joyful giver and learning to feel blessed. The most central truth, right? The most central truth of all of human existence is that there is a God and He loves people so much that He gives. He gave us life. He created us. And he gave us his son to redeem us after we fell in our sin. And anyone who believes in him and calls on his name has the promise of everlasting supply, eternal life, joy that's more than we know how to describe in this world. That's, that's what the Bible says. This is the story right here. You know, so it's kind of paradoxical, actually, because it, to really find the greatest possible joy, to find the greatest possible joy, involves receiving instead of giving. You must receive the forgiveness of sin from God. You must receive the love of the Creator from God. You don't give Him anything to get Him to do it. You don't be something or or do something to get Him to do it. Those are responses, but you must receive it. It's found by bowing your head and receiving his free gift. As the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Let's pray. 